As we return to our study of Hebrews, I have a number of people who are going to join me to read Hebrews 11 this morning. So I'll invite them up as I help us reconnect with Hebrews. We study, so you can come up as I talk. I'll try to not talk long so you don't have to stand long. This spring, we studied the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, where we were reminded that Jesus is greater. He's greater than everyone else that we've known, greater than every other thing we could worship or give our lives to. Um, He's greater even than our past experiences of faith. The writer also offered some warnings to say it's really important that you pay attention to this and that you don't kind of blow off what God wants to do in your life through Jesus. And so uh, as we turn our attention now to Hebrews 11 through 13, that's where we'll be uh, from now until about Thanksgiving. Um, We start in Hebrews 11, which talks about our family of faith. So we're going to take turns reading through it. If you want to Open up your Bibles. You can. I forgot to check what page Hebrews 11 is on in the Pew Bible, but I invite you to just listen as we read it over you as well. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so, From this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died, 
They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a, as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's son and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when, he, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the Daniel, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flame, the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength, 
and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And that is Hebrews 11. Thank you, everybody. I don't know what the experience was for you, but it choked me up just uh, hearing about our family of faith uh, it's quite a story. Our families are full of stories. I've had the privilege of going to a few friends' family cabins, and they're always eager to share kind of the history of what had happened at the cabin and all their traditions there and things like that. Our, our families are full of stories. Sometimes uh, they center around births. Uh, Bursts that came very quickly, bursts that lasted a long time. Um, I don't remember it, but I'm told that when my mom was ready to deliver my little sister, I was about two and a half, um, and apparently had been working on potty training a bit, because uh, my mom's water broke while she was sitting on the couch. And I said, Mommy, how many times do I have to tell you not to pee on the couch? And I don't think she was particularly enamored with my sassy application of potty training. They can be simple little things like the fact that my sister struggled to say the word popcorn. So to this day, my dad calls it cobburn, especially when she's around. Or little phrases that we're known for saying as kids. Uh, what are you doing, Brian? I painting, Daddy. Do you want some help? No, I help self. Not all our stories are happy, and some of them are stories that we just never say. But there are other stories about getting through hard times. Uh, I think I've mentioned my dad is one of 16 kids in his family, uh, and you can imagine uh, they weren't farmers, and so... <laughs> uh, but they lived out in the country, and it was hard at times to make sure that all, I mean, to be fair, there were only 10 seats around the table, and so when the youngest was ready to get out of the high chair, the oldest had to go work for room and board on somebody else's farm. Um, so there were only 10 at home at a time, usually, I think, but, um, but my dad has told lots of stories about how they were stressed about food at times, but then they'd come home and somebody from church or from the neighborhood would have left a bag of groceries or sometimes a box of groceries on their doorstep for them. 
families are, are full of stories, and the family of God is like that too. And so today we turn our attention to this passage that we just heard about this family of faith that we're a part of in Jesus. And so I want to just note a few things about our family. And the first is that our family is full of hope. There were definitely hard things mentioned, and we'll talk about that, but our family is full of hope. In fact, Hebrews 11 begins with this definition of faith. The writer tells us, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And this little definition, in order to understand it, means that we need to take some time to understand that we use the word hope differently in our society than we use it in biblical faith. And that's okay, it's not wrong. Lots of words in our language have lots of definitions and different uses for different times. But it's important for us to recognize that in society, we use the word hope to say, I wish something. You know, I, I hope the weather's good today. I really do. Uh, and I think it's going to be, but, um, or yesterday I was uh, at a wedding and there were a lot of people saying, I hope the DJ shows up to our wedding. Um, he made it for the reception. <laughs> um, we might say something like, I hope I get an A on this test. We might even qualify it with it, even though I didn't study. Um, so, it's wishful thinking. I hope this will happen. I want it to happen is kind of the way we use it. But in God's family, hope means something different. It means no matter what happens, I have hope. I'm assured. I'm steady. I'll get through this. And the reason that is, is because, well, there are a couple reasons that is. One, we know we can trust God. He's our creator, our father, and he's sovereign over all things. He will hold us fast. He will hold us tight. We also know, historically, God entered our world. Jesus came as one of us. And when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he demonstrated beyond a doubt. Well, we still doubt. We still struggle. But... He demonstrated for us very clearly and powerfully that he can and will do everything he's promised he would do. In, in fact, he declared from the cross, it is finished. Satan is defeated, though not fully in our experience yet. Our sin is paid for, though we still struggle with it. So God has put away evil and he's demonstrated it in his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. And he's told us the end of the story. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And he told us, he gave us this vision through John of what would happen. And we read in Revelation 21 about it. These are just some of the details, but it's enough for us to get a glimpse of the confidence that we have. 
John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So our hope is anchored not in wishful thinking, but in promises that we know will come true. Because they're anchored in the God who makes all things and made us on purpose and invites us into relationship with him. Our hope is anchored in the truth, the reality, the historical fact of Jesus, God himself, entering our world as one of us, dying sacrificially on the cross, and being raised from the dead. He's conquered all our enemies. And so when he says one day he will return and put all those away and bring us safely into his kingdom where we can live forever in peace with him the way he intended, we can trust him because he's demonstrated that he can do everything he's promised he would. And he's told us the end of the story. He, prom he told us that it would be hard now in this time of waiting between his resurrection and ascension and his return in victory, it's hard. We struggle in this, I'm still struggling with my sin even though God's conquered my sin and forgiven me. We're still impacted by evil even though we know Jesus has defeated Satan and we know exactly what's gonna happen to him. But it's a struggle, but our hope is certain. And because we have this certain confidence in God's work and promise and his ability to fulfill our prom his promises to us, we can endure all things. Our family is full of hope. And our family has an inspiring story. As I said, I, I wasn't um, planning on it, but it, it choked me up even just hearing this story read out loud. And this is just a quick little summary in Hebrews chapter 11, let alone all that we have in Scripture about our church family and all we have in the stories that we share with one another about our congregational history, our denominational history, our global church history, and our personal histories. Our family has an inspiring story. As I highlighted already, God has created us on purpose and revealed himself to us as our father. That he's not just supposed to be this powerful being in control, but that he invites us into relationship with him. That he even reveals himself as confusing as the Trinity is, the simple fact is that he reveals himself as God in relationship 
a God who does love because he exists in love, in loving community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from eternity past into eternity future. And he invites us to be a part of that, to experience his love, to receive his love, to share his love. God created us, and he created us on purpose. But we rebelled against him. We said, well, a God with that much power, what if he turned on us? That could be hard. We should find a way to protect ourselves. It would be better if we were in control. But it was a lie, and it's not better for us. It leads us to stress and anxiety and destruction. But God wasn't satisfied to leave us in that mess by ourselves. As we mentioned, God himself came in the person of Jesus. He took on our sin even though none of it belonged to him. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. That as we trust in him, we would be forgiven, set free. Made not enemies of God, but children of God. And he's promised that he's coming again to restore us. That we will one day experience peace with him in all its fullness and wonder. And it seems like we've been waiting a long time, but the God who can create light by just speaking it, in all this time that we've been waiting, is preparing a place for us. So we know it's going to be pretty awesome when we get there. Our family has an inspiring story. By faith, we know God as our creator, it says in Hebrews 11. We have this history of faith, people experiencing God moving in them through hard realities. The writer to the Hebrews reminds them of Abraham and Sarah, who, um, it makes me chuckle a little how, how just bold and blatant the text is. It says, Abraham, though he was as good as dead, okay, he was, he was an old man. He wasn't supposed to have kids. Sarah was old too, so, so old she laughed. Like, seriously? At this point when it's hard for me to get up and get moving, now I'm going to raise a kid? But by faith, Abraham and Sarah had a baby when they were old. God had promised it, and they trusted him, and God provided. Our family has an inspiring story, and it's not just a family of a bloodline, but it's a family with adoption all the way through it, adoption by faith. And Hebrews 11 records for us, reminds us that by faith Rahab was rescued. Though she lived in Jericho and she didn't even live an honorable life, she's known as a prostitute, but she feared the God of Israel. And she knew that he was powerful. And she protected his spies as they came into the land. And by that faith, even though at that moment it was maybe more fear than trust, she learned to trust in the midst of it. By faith, she was rescued. She was protected when Jericho fell. 
Our church family has an inspiring story. There were evangelistic tent meetings in Eau Claire in the 1920s. In 1924, on Easter Sunday, April 14th, for the first time Bethesda met together. We're 98 years old. We too get a little tired and achy sometimes as a congregation, but it's good. We're, we're called. And God is doing great things. We have this long history. So our ministry began in 1924 after, as a result of these evangelistic tent meetings in town and a congregation was formed. In October 2nd, 1938, we started a radio broadcast. Isn't that amazing? Like radio was like just starting to be a booming thing in the 20s and 30s and we were like, hey, I think we could have a Lutheran ministry on the radio. It was in Norwegian for a long, long time, so I would have never understood it, but, um, but uh, the Faith and Fellowship Hour started October 2nd, 1938. In the early 1970s, when WWIB was getting started, the owners looked for a church in town that they could broadcast the service so that could be part of their programming. And they came to Bethesda, they picked us. So for about 50 years, we've been broadcasting our services on the radio. Some of you take advantage of that when you go to your family cabins. Um, we've been trying to get the message out for a long, long time. We have personal stories too. As I look out at each of you, I've, I know lots of things. Just snippets of your lives, but lots of things collectively about things that you've trusted God to bring you through. Ways that I've seen you share your faith, and witness to your neighbors, and heard about the celebration or the challenge. Um, I know I talk about Faye and she doesn't really like to be highlighted, but, uh, and I guess I'm not supposed to. <laughs> Um, but Faye, honestly, you're one of many people in this congregation who just kind of exemplify this picture of Hebrews 11.1 1 faith. You just know the promise, and you know it belongs to you because God gave it to you, not because you deserve it, and it gives you peace. It's not every moment is peaceful in your life, but it studies you, and you're an inspiration to us because of that. So if I were writing, in addition to Hebrews 11, I would say by faith, faith rose, trusted in the promises of God, and encouraged those around her. I would say by faith, Carol Cox mentors and cares for women, often single moms. I would say by faith, Joel Resch and Bruce Rundle have been faithful volunteers at Lakeshore Elementary, and the staff and the students loved them there. They shine a light in that place. By faith, you live as witnesses to Jesus in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, at school. By faith, when you've heard that there's a need, you respond. Whether it's mosquito nets, where our goal was to raise $5,000 to send mosquito nets to Chad, Africa, 
and you raise 10,000, um, or it was earlier this year when we were saying, hey, first quarter's done, and the budget looks like a distant wish. And many of you increased your giving, and you gave. We're, we're still working to achieve that goal and meet our needs, but, but you give, and you participate by faith. You generously invest in the, the life and the work of this congregation, not just through your finances, but through your time. Many of you should be tired, but I think it's life-giving for most of you. So whether you're singing in the choir or helping out in Sunday school for 30 years or whatever it is, by faith, you're trusting God and serving. We just heard uh, in the last couple weeks, by faith, February 10th, next year, we get to host a night to shine. It chokes me up just imagining what that night is going to be like as we get to share the love of God with 150 guests plus their families plus. Oh, it's it's going to be awesome, and I can't wait to see what God does as these people who walk through the door get to experience that they're treasured by the God who saves them and made them. Our family has an inspiring story. And God's still writing it. It's also true, it's obvious as we read Hebrews 11, that our family endures through hard things. We're drawn to the inspiring stories. We love to talk about how our faith brought us through hard things, and then great things happened. But it's also important for us to recognize that Hebrews 11 tells the truth. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised a savior for them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, like we are, still waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. But more than that, the end of this chapter, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two and not by illusionists. They were killed by the sword. They struggled in poverty. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Our family endures through hard things because we know that God's promises are true. And sometimes we get the encouragement of seeing those, a glimpse of those promises fulfilled in our midst here in our earthly circumstances. And sometimes we don't. 
Sometimes the answer that we wish for doesn't come. Sometimes as we look back, we can see, oh, God really worked that, worked something redemptive and awesome in that. And sometimes that question just lingers, like why is it still this way? Or why did that never get better? But we endure through hard things because we have this certain hope, this assurance of things that we have not yet seen, but that we know are true. Because God is who he says he is. He made us and he made us on purpose. He loves us and he saves us. Jesus did come and do what we needed of him. Not because we deserved it, none of us do. Because his love is that great and that gracious. We endure hard things because in the midst of it, we know that God redeems those moments. He's with us. He reveals more about us, more about him, more about faith, and more about our hope, even as we endure hard things in our lives. We know as we face hardship that we're in good company, as we mentioned recently. The 11 remaining disciples after Judas ran off were all punished for their faith in Jesus. 10 of them were executed. One of them they tried to execute, but he survived it. As we face hard things, a lot of times it's not because of our faith. But in lots of places in the world, that's the source of people's punishment and hardship. There are millions of brothers and sisters in Christ in East Asia who risk their lives just to meet together. We have friends in Chad, Africa who are experiencing awakening to faith in Jesus. But in Africa, community is life. Community protects you and helps make sure you get what you need. And the fear of being honest and outspoken about their faith in Jesus can be terrifying. Because they don't want to be ostracized from their families and from their community. Our family endures hard things because our, our hope is not anchored in how our circumstances play out, but in the God who is with us no matter what the circumstances and will, in fact, as we trust in him, bring us safely into his kingdom. Our family is full of hope, full of, in, we have an inspiring story and we endure hard things because that hope is so real and so powerful. It's not just wishful thinking, it's trusting in the truth of the one who made us, loves us, saves us, and 
is promised that he's returning. So whatever we face, whatever hardships in our personal lives, in the world around us, we have the strength to endure because God is with us. And that's what Hebrews 11 wants to remind us of as it tells us the story of our family of faith. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. You are awesome and mighty. There is no one like you. And Jesus, it's true, you are greater than all things, greater than everyone. You are the one we need. You're enough for us. So we pray that you would anchor us in this hope. You would draw us close to you and that you would give us faith. That by faith in you, Jesus, you would set us free from our sin, guard and protect us from evil. You would make us your children. And bring us into this inspiring story that you continue to write. For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.